Good morning. It is wonderful to be able to worship together, isn't it? Whether we're singing praises to God, whether we're praying, uh, whether we're listening to a beautiful song uh, played on the piano, or whether we're reading the Word of God. Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 17, and please stand with me as we read God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. And Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that your will will be done among us this morning. That your strength and your power would be evident among us. That your name would be praised. That your people would be blessed. And that your word would go forth for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. Hebrews 12 has pictured the Christian life as a race and also in terms of a family. Last week we saw the father at work disciplining his children for their good and his glory. Now we see the family of God at work. God's people called to action. After encouraging his readers to fix their eyes upon Jesus and to accept God's discipline as his fatherly responsibility in our lives, he now exhorts them to act upon what they had heard. Act upon the truths they had learned as beloved children. The family of God engaging in God-honoring and Christ-centered relationships, fulfilling their responsibility to God and one another. Now, how will we know if we are in Christ-centered, God-honoring relationships? What will be present or absent? What will we need to strive for or to avoid? Let's focus first on our responsibilities. What God calls us to do based upon what he has already done. God's activity demands a response from us. And so, What are our responsibilities according to Hebrews 12, 12 through 17? Well, the first thing we see is that we are to seek healthy relationships. We see this in verse 12. Verse 12 begins, therefore. Therefore, because of God's process of conforming us to the image of Christ, his discipline of his children, which is necessary and serves his good purposes and results in holiness... Because of all that, here's what we're to do. Strengthen the hands that are weak. Now, strengthen means to set up straight again. It means to restore to straightness. It, it means to reinvigorate, to revive. It's used by medical writers of, 
of setting dislocated parts of the body. Much like putting a brace on a sprained ankle, which any of us who have played basketball know what that all, that's all about. Usually when I would sprain my ankle, I would go play basketball too quickly and re-sprain it again. But the idea of strengthening means to be putting a brace around something that is weakened so as to strengthen it. Weak uh, means listless, uh, drooping, letting uh, the hands fall to the ground uh, to, to neglect. We're to strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Some of you have feeble knees. You've had a few knee surgeries, maybe even a few knees replaced. Feeble means to be loosened. It means to be dissolved. Literally, it means to paralyze. And we get our English word paralytic uh, as a transliteration of this Greek word. Verse 13 then says to do this and then make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths. It it, it literally points to the track that a wheel makes, uh, let's say on a dirt road. Or uh, the path that the runner's feet makes after a lot of runners have gone by. Like a a path that gets trodden well and a well-worn path. Make straight paths for your feet. Literally, it's a running lane. Uh, Again, the race imagery is here. Now, it is not, though, straight as opposed to crooked, which is what we would think. Make straight paths versus crooked paths. It's not that. It it simply means uh, right paths, plain paths, uh, smooth paths, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And that shows the purpose. Purpose is for health, for healing. And so we are to seek uh, healthy relationships. The allusion is to Isaiah 35, verse 3, by the way. In Isaiah 35, we read this. Encourage the exhausted. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come but he will save you. These are words of encouragement to those who have been weakened. And uh, similarly, here in Hebrews 12, the writer is encouraging them. Uh, The point is clear. Some were spiritually limping and needed help. Needed the help, the body of Christ, that the family of God could and should give. Now, there is something that works against healthy relationships. It's a tendency that we see all too often in our own lives. It's the tendency to use people to get what we want. It's the tendency to use people to get uh, what they can give to us. To view relationships in view of what we can get out of them versus uh, what we put into them. What it is, is it's, it makes our contact with people transactional versus relational. We go to get rather than to experience. Uh, Transactional people are more interested in bottom line personal happiness. What makes me happy? Relational people are more interested in the common good. What's best for all? Now, God is more interested in a relationship that sets us apart to him. 
Now, if we view people by their role and what they can accomplish versus their character, if we connect with people only when we perceive we'll get something good out of it, then we're acting uh, transactionally versus relationally. And uh, to get back on track, we need to think first in terms of, of who a person is rather than what they can do. None of us want to be treated like a commodity. Well, you're useful for this and that's why we have you around. We all want to be viewed for who we are. For who we are in, in, our, in our souls, in our hearts, in our character. Not just for our abilities. But we're to seek healthy relationships. And in the context of healthy relationships, we're also to seek peace with all. Verse 14 says, seek peace with all men. That's everyone. Not just uh, only the people that I like. Not just only the people that are fun to be around. Not just only the people that don't bug me too much. Uh, Seek peace with all. Believers, unbelievers, likable people, unlikable people, peaceful people, and unpeaceful people. Be at peace with all. Now the Greek word for pursue, we're to pursue Peace. The Greek word for pursue is uh, dioko. It means to follow after. Literally, it means to run after someone or something to chase them down. Chase after peace with everyone. This word has a sense of urgency with it. Hurry up and chase down peace with everyone. Don't be at odds with anyone. Now, they were to pursue peace, these original uh, hearers of this letter, but the Hebrews' uh, situation and their condition didn't make peace very uh, possible. (laughs) It made it a very difficult thing. The hard times they they were experiencing uh, could easily have led to quarreling. You know, a relationship in good times isn't tested much, but in bad times, our relationships are tested hugely. And when we bitterly fight and quarrel in the midst of bad times, we know something is wrong at the foundation of the relationship. There was this tendency to lead to quarreling as well as to uh, feel alienated from those who had left the straight path. Those who were no longer walking uh, the straight path. They were not to continue with those people in coldness or in anger or, or something like that. They were to restore, the, to seek to restore them uh, to unity of the faith. They were to be peacemakers. And Jesus said they would be blessed. Romans chapter 12 gives us some instruction on this. In Romans 12, starting at verse 14, we read this. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. See, we're not responsible for the actions or reactions or responses of other people. Others may not want to be at peace with us. 
We may try as hard as we can and, we, and, and someone will not, they will refuse to be at peace with us. It says, be, uh, be at peace with all men as far as possible. Seek peace. What it is, we must never take the initiative to stir up strife. We must never take the initiative uh, to be the breaker of peace. So we're to seek healthy relationships. Uh, within that context, we're to seek peace with all. And we're also to seek growth in Christ. Verse 14 says to seek peace, but it also says to seek the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness of life signifies drawing near to God with a cleansed conscience. It signifies the true acceptance of Christ's sacrifice that brings a person into right relationship with God. And continuance of that relationship with him. The biblical doctrine of sanctification teaches that all believers have obtained God's holiness in terms of salvation and our position in Christ. But there's also this process of sanctification that is ongoing. Believers' lives are to be progressively more Christ-like, progressively conforming to the image of Christ. Conforming more to the perfect standing that is already ours positionally in Christ. And anything that works against that ought to be avoided. God's intent is not to make us happy. We want to be happy. And we often rearrange our lives in a quest for happiness. But God doesn't want to make us happy He is at work in us to make us holy, set apart for Him. And if we're seeking to live a lifestyle of worshiping God, if we are uh, seeking to learn and to do God's Word, if if we're seeking to, to be devoted to prayer with expectant hearts, knowing that God will do something, if we're trusting in the power and sovereignty of Christ rather than our own abilities, we're going to grow in Christ. As 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are some things we are to seek. And we have a responsibility to do that. To to seek, but not only to seek certain things, but also to avoid certain things. There are some things that ought to be absent in the family of God, but sadly are present in many churches. There are are several things we're supposed to avoid, uh, according to this passage. The first thing is, we're to avoid dropping out and missing God's grace. Verse 15 says, see to it. That means to to look after, to look carefully. Uh, It means to make sure, to watch after, to watch out for. And the word indicates the careful oversight of someone who has a position of responsibility. It's the same word used in 1 Peter 5, where the elders are exhorted to, um, to oversee the local church assembly. The idea is, not just for the elders to do this, but for the entire church to exercise oversight over their own lives and also to act responsibly towards the rest of the fellowship. To look out for each other. Kind of like a, the neighborhood watch for the body of Christ. 
we are to see to it that no one falls short or comes short of the glory of God or the grace of God. Originally, that would have applied to an unsaved Jew who had been on the path towards turning towards Christ, had maybe even professed to know Christ, but really did not know Christ, did not have salvation. If an unbeliever dies before yielding to Jesus, they are lost forever. It's a life and death proposition. And we're to watch out for those who may live under the false illusion that they are a Christian when they're not. Now, the Lord knows those who are His. God knows. But the question is this, have you personally come all the way to Christ? All the way to a saving knowledge of Christ? Or have you stopped short of the truth? Have you stopped short with maybe the ideas and the facts in your head, but haven't let the truth sink down into your heart? To the po- point where you would, you would um, stake your life upon the truth, that you would yield your life over to God. There are a lot of people in churches that are in that same situation. They know it, they can recite it, but they don't have Jesus in their life. If anybody falls short of God's grace, it's not because God's grace wasn't available, it's because the person would not avail themselves of God's grace. God's free and unmerited favor. This is a serious thing, but we're to avoid dropping out and missing God's grace. And not only in our own lives, but we're also to to be on the watch in case someone else is in such a a dangerous predicament. We're also to avoid bitterness. You know, when no one really likes to eat bitter food, uh, no one likes to have uh, a relationship that's bitter, Well, here we're to avoid a root of bitterness. It says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. It's a reference to Deuteronomy 29, 18 that says this, Beware, lest there be any among among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord to go and serve the gods of the nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. This is referring to a person who spreads disobedience and disloyalty and discord amongst God's people. It says they cause trouble, they cause unrest, they they cause a lack of peace. Trouble with the crowd, a whole crowd of people are troubled. They annoy. They literally harass the body of Christ. And by it, many are defiled. Many are stained. They're tainted. There's a warning just like this in Hebrews 3.12. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. There's that idea of a responsibility towards one another. But people who fall away often taint others. And we're to avoid dropping out and missing God's grace. We're to avoid bitterness that causes trouble and defiles. And we also need to avoid godlessness. Verse 16 says, using Esau as an example, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. 
using a a well-known biblical example of someone who sold their own birthright for a single meal. Now, to understand the huge uh, gap between the birthright and and a simple meal, you've got to understand what the birthright means. The birthright consisted of honor and privilege and blessing, uh, about being the, uh, the family priest when the father died, and about, uh, in, under the Mosaic law, it included a double share of property. There were riches, there was honor, there was privilege, and, and up against this, this hoped-for birthright, Esau sold it for a simple bowl of soup that would be consumed quickly and eliminated quickly. Now, what was Esau's problem? What was his issue? You see, in verse 17, it says that even afterwards, he desired to inherit the blessing. He walked in after his brother Jacob had stolen the birthright, gone in and got the blessing. And with bitterness and with tears, he pleaded with his father to give him a blessing. His father had already given the blessing for the firstborn. And so, even though afterwards he wanted to change his mind, his father could not change his mind. He was rejected. He found no place for repentance, no place for a change of mind, no opportunity, though he cried for it. And what was his issue? He had gone too far in rebellions against God. He had no appreciation or sensitivity or capacity for spiritual things. He lacked any sense of spiritual values. He was without God, godless, and he was without a moral compass, immoral. He was all about gratifying his his physical desires. And so that birthright that consisted of privilege and honor and blessing, about being uh, the the, the head of the family, uh, he sold... He sold it. But here's the thing. He had no right to sell it. It wasn't his yet. The possibility was his. But the birthright was what his father would have blessed him with. So here's Esau taking into his own hands and selling what he did not yet possess and wasn't his right to sell. He didn't value it. Now, even his own brother Jacob the, the supplanter, the stealer of the birthright. In his worst moments, Jacob in his worst moments still showed appreciation for God's covenant promises and a desire to not miss them. A determination not to miss. See, there were some Hebrews that were reading this letter who didn't know Jesus and were, were in danger of throwing away the opportunity of possessing eternal life. And the way they could throw that away was by denying that they had anything to do with Jesus to get out of persecution. Now, this idea of of responsibility, it's huge. You know, parents, we all want to teach our kids responsibility. When our kids are grown, we hope that they have learned responsibility. Uh, There are times that even as adults, we, we wish we had a little more responsibility. That was a joke. We have a lot of responsibilities on our plate. Sometimes we wish we could offload a few. On the other hand, we do want to act responsibly. 
Now, this idea, though, of responsibility for ourselves and for others in the body is key when it comes to life in the body of Christ. It's a key concept. We're to take responsibility for ourselves, but also for others, to act responsibly towards the rest of the fellowship. But that doesn't mean doing for others what they're supposed to do for themselves. This is taught in Galatians chapter 6. We read in verse 2 where we are to bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, we are told that each one should carry his own load. So those two things could seem uh, a bit opposed to one another, but they're not. They actually fit perfectly together. The load that we are each to bear is our normal cargo, our normal everyday responsibilities, our, our usual stuff. We do that on our own. We are responsible for that. The burdens are our overloads, the stuff that we can't handle all on our own. And what God calls us to do, he enables us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keeping a watchful eye on our own lives and on the body of Christ, on the family of God, um, is a responsibility we all share. But it's not an excuse for prying or gossip or, or slander, um, but we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. So, so we have this responsibility, and it's one that we've got to take seriously, just like we take so many other responsibilities seriously in life. And it's to seek healthy relationships. Going along with that, there's peace. There's growth in Christ. But how about the outcomes? What happens when, when we obey God? What does God bring about? What characterizes healthy relationships? Let me point a couple things out. First, godly character that is evident to all. Godly character that everyone can see. In fact, when godly character is produced in our lives, we don't have to sound the alarm and let everyone know that it's happened. They know. People see. It's evident. It's not something we can take credit for either. We can only live in a manner consistent with the character of God by the grace of God. So if our lives are marked with things like uh, integrity, faithfulness, compassion, grace, mercy, humility, gentleness, trust, obedience, if those type of qualities show up in our lives, it's due to God's grace. It's due to God's strength and depth and substance in our lives that is developed. They're developed in, in ways that, are, that God gives us. They're developed by worshiping God as a lifestyle. They're developed by long hours in, in God's word and prayer. They're developed by uh, hard times, such as God allowed in Job's life. So there's godly character that will be evident to all. That's an outcome that God brings about. And in addition to godly character, there will be true fellowship. True fellowship. See, fellowship is not this fuzzy feeling of warmth for one another. That's not fellowship. Um, fellowship, in the biblical sense, 
is when we are willing to give of ourselves and also to receive from others. That's true biblical fellowship. It's a willingness to know and be known. It's a willingness to put yourself on the line and be vulnerable and risk rejection. If if you can't take that chance, or if you're not willing to take that chance, you are not living as God intends. There are people that love to come to church and then slip out the back door as quick as they can because they don't want to risk being rejected or having to talk or having to disclose anything about themselves. And I'm telling you, if that is your pattern, now if you've got to get somewhere right away, I understand, okay? But if your pattern is one of avoiding people and avoiding relationships, you are not living as God intends a believer to live. It's like this, um, you're short-circuiting the process and someone else is getting robbed of relationship with you. You're not just uh, hurting yourself, you're hurting the people that, that don't get the opportunity to know you and don't get the opportunity to benefit from what you have to offer. Not in a transactional way, in a relational uh, connectedness way. In fact, look at Acts chapter 2 with me. It's very well known, but look at the kind of things they did together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Remember I mentioned last week that I need glasses? I've got an appointment this week. I'm finding the part. Okay, there we go. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guess what they were doing when they were around that table eating meals together? Not looking down at their plate. They were talking with one another. They were sharing their lives with one another. They were, they were loving one another as God intends. I mentioned that I am um, losing some eyesight. Is Daniel Berrigan in here right now? Just raise your hand if you're in here. Okay. I, just, I, he gave, I had him give a testimony first hour, and I didn't know if he was going to come second hour, but um, he gave a testimony first hour of God's work in his life through his family and through the family of God in this past year. When he's been, it's been, this Friday will be a year since he was diagnosed with, with multiple myeloma. And... Uh, as he put uh, this morning, he's, he's experiencing a, a new normal now. Uh, normal for him today wasn't what it was a year ago. But he was just praising God for God's goodness in his life, his family, and also this church, which is the family of God, his family as well. And his, uh, his idea, the idea between, uh, behind true fellowship is this idea of genuine interest and concern. And that's what we are to give to one another, to care for one another. 
And not just when we are, are sick or in trouble, but on a daily basis. We're to care for one another. And true fellowship is marked by that, genuine interest and concern. It's also marked by, by um, voluntary accountability. Voluntary accountability. I mentioned several weeks ago we need two kinds of people in our lives. Mentors and friends. Mentors who have traveled the road farther than we have and will turn around and help us. And friends who will walk alongside with us and run alongside with us and even carry us if need be. And I have found over the years that it is important to have a group of people I meet with every week that, will, that there's permission granted to ask anything, anytime, for any reason. And uh, we have this little card we made up. In fact, at the small group fair this after, today after church, there's, there, there's a bunch of these at each table. Just take them. These are, we use these, our group, we use them uh, once a week and we ask one question. And sometimes it's, what's the question you don't want anyone to ask today? Let's do that one. Um, but these are helpful to keep us on track uh, as we uh, kind of do a little spiritual checkup on, on an uh, ongoing basis. But we need voluntary accountability with mentors, with friends. But people aren't going to hold each other accountable if they're not bought into the same program. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, is my desire to, for Jesus to have first place, is my desire to be yielded to God and to have Jesus as Lord in my life, am I on a daily basis denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus? If so, we need to band together and, and initiate voluntary accountability with one another. Not with every person in the church, but with a select group of people that you can know really well and who can get to know you really well. Are you willing to be asked and to ask the tough questions? Are there people in your life right now who can ask you the tough questions? True fellowship is also marked by something else, what I call willing uh, willing reconciliation. Willing reconciliation with those who we are at odds with. If we're pursuing the things that make for peace and the building up of one another, we're going to be willing to yield our position when we think we're right. We're going to be willing to reconcile hurts and to apologize and to ask forgiveness. An unwillingness to reconcile factors into bitter roots continuing on and making families and churches really unhealthy. So for example, it will taint everything we do if there are bitter roots in our lives. And they're not just affecting us, they're going down deep and they're affecting others in the body, whether we know it or not. So, it'll affect our service. We want to serve the Lord? We can't be at odds with our brothers and sisters. It'll short-circuit the process. But if we seek wholeheartedly to serve the Lord and others with, with pure motives, we're going to be quick to reconcile when there is something wrong, when we're aware. See, there's something else that happens when we do what God calls us to do. Effective mission. Christ-centered relationships are important because our relationship with the world is at stake. 
Jesus said in John 13, uh, there's a new commandment I'm giving you to love one another. Even if I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I'll tell you another thing, if you are having bitter roots, if there are bitter roots that have been allowed to grow up in your life, you're not witnessing. You're just not doing it because it cuts that off. Uh, The credibility goes away. Effective mission. They'll know we're his disciples if we love each other. Hebrews 13.1 says, Let love of the brethren continue. Let love of the brethren continue. What a, what a simple verse, but it is profound. The, the Greek word for continue suggests that the bond that the body of Christ had was in danger of being severed. It was in danger of being broken. That's why the writer of, of Hebrews said, let love of the brethren continue. Don't let it be broken. Don't let your bond be severed. Don't let it be severed by bitterness and angriness and unreconciled relationships. In Proverbs, we read that a friend loves at all times and, and faithful is he who uh, sticks closer than a brother. I want us to be known as a group of people who are seeking to live and to serve and to reach out with an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective on life that goes beyond here. Telling others of Jesus, expressing his love in practical ways. But that is only going to happen if we are loving each other as God intends. The process is short-circuited if we are not loving each other first. So it means being willing to, to give and receive encouragement and correction from each other. But we need to be close enough to make a difference in each other's lives for that to happen. See, the rug will be pulled out from under our attempts to witness if we are not in healthy relationship with one another. It's with our spouse and with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our moms and our dads, anyone and everyone that we know. See, they, they will know. Our witness to unbelievers will be helped if we display the God-honoring characteristics of peace and holiness. It will be hindered if we don't. So to to wrap this up today, Christians ought to be engaged in Christ-centered relationships where we build one another up in in an atmosphere of honesty and accountability and trust and we engage with one another in in God's word and prayer and fellowship and, and witnessing and support. And this happens best in smaller groupings of people. We know that. And if our relationships are not Christ-centered, they are self-centered. Think about it. If our relationships are not uh, Christ-centered, they're self-centered. So why can't it be just me and Jesus? Why do we need each other so much? It's because God designed it that way. We were made for relationship. John Donne said this. He said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. 
and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. The leadership of grace wants everyone who calls grace their church home to be um, connected significantly with other people on an ongoing basis. Connected significantly in some way with others in our families, as couples, as men, as women, as children, as youth. You know, um, all around the world, people build fences. They build fences around their homes and their businesses to protect them. Keep the good stuff in, keep the bad stuff out. Rod iron fences, brick walls, wood fences, slump stone. Even overseas, they build cement walls with glass embedded at the top to keep intruders out. Keeps the good in, keeps the bad out. Small groups, smaller groupings of people, provide protective fences for our lives, for our hearts and our minds and our souls. And the choice is ours whether we're going to allow those to be built. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your good work of grace in us. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that everyone here would have good connections with other people where they could be known and they could know and grow closer to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.